Let's pray. Oh God, we're talking about forgiveness today. And you know each of our lives, you know what we have done, you know what's been done to us. Uh, you know how much we need forgiveness. So make things clear to us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name and we all say, Amen. No forgiveness. K-N-O-W. That sounds great. To know you're forgiven by God, to know you're forgiven by others. Great way to live life. Don't have to pretend, don't have to try and cover up, don't have to try and look good. You can just be honest. No shame, no guilt. Forgiveness is this powerful thing that sets us free to enjoy God, free to enjoy other people, free to enjoy life. However, the Bible's pretty clear. We start in a different spot, which is no forgiveness. Or, we'll reword it, we begin in a place of needing forgiveness. Now, I know that nobody likes to be told, you need to be forgiven. It's like, if I need to be forgiven, I should know if I need to be forgiven or not. And it kind of may feel insulting for someone to say, well, you need to be forgiven by God, unless, of course, it's true. And if it's true that we need to be forgiven by God, we would want to know that. And then we would want to know, needing forgiveness, how we can move to being forgiven by God, how that works out. So let's just start with the question, why? Why do we need to be forgiven? Most of us, I think, have this idea that others need to be forgiven more than we do. I mean, other nations, they're evil, corrupt, and guilty and wrong, but not my nation. Or we go, well, maybe, you know, there's some evil or corruption or wrong in my nation, but not in my town. Or we go, well, maybe there's some people in town that, you know, they got problems with evil and corruption or they're guilty of wrong, but not me. We often think that forgiveness is something that they, whoever they are, need, but not us. But God's word, the Bible, is very clear that everyone, everywhere, is in need of forgiveness from God. Paul writes, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, the most common New Testament Greek word translated into English as sin is an archery term that you use when the archer shoots the arrow and at the target, and it just misses. That's the sin word. It misses. Can miss by a little, can miss by a lot, but it falls short. So God created us in his own image. He created us to enjoy him, to enjoy creation, to enjoy people, and we fall short. We wander off from God. We ignore his voice. We ignore his guidance. We judge people. We don't see them as worthy. We tear people down instead of building people up. We take the good gifts God gives, and instead of thanking him for them, we worship them. Or as Paul says, we fall short of God's glorious standard. That's true for all of us. So the question is, well, how, how can God forgive? Think about it. Well, if God forgives, doesn't that mean that it doesn't matter what we do? I mean, if God forgives, who cares what we do, right? Isn't God's forgiveness just like a permission slip? Here, here's forgiveness, go and sin again. Go do wrong again. Go wander off again. Well, Paul continues, yet God in his grace, God's kindness, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Now, from childhood on, there's a phrase that drives our thinking. And here's the phrase. It's not fair. It's not fair. Kids say it all the time. It's not fair. Now, of course, not everyone agrees on what fair looks like, 
but everyone agrees that it should be fair. And if it's not fair, something should be done about it. And if something's not fair, someone is going to have to pay a price in order to make it right or fair. We all know this. We feel it. For example, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the apparent war crimes that have been committed. So people who say, that's not fair. War crimes should be punished are not also going to say, oh, just forgive them. No big deal. No. The world says, no, there needs to be justice. Somebody's got to pay a price for this. There needs to be justice. That's the role of Jesus, God's son. He came to pay our sin price, to pay the penalty for our rebellion, our falling short of who God made us to be. Paul continues to write, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's why we sang that song. The blood of Jesus says a better word. It's forgiveness. And that's why God can forgive. He can be just and fair because the price has been paid. And God can welcome us into his family as we believe that Jesus paid that price, made up that difference in that gap. And it's not just about you and me. This is about all of human history. Paul keeps writing, this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. So God's forgiveness is fair. He's always been able to fairly forgive because even though the res death and resurrection of Jesus is an historical event at a point in history, it's a cosmic spiritual event that affects all of human history. And God forgives before and after on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul goes on, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, that God's fair, God's just. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So we need forgiveness. We all do. We all fall short. God's standard. Jesus paid the price for that, and now it's fair for God to forgive us and make us right with himself. He brings us back up to where he made it, intended us to be at the beginning. Or another way to think about it is Jesus is our scapegoat. Now, scapegoat is a word we use when someone who is not at fault, that nothing, didn't do anything wrong, they, they get, all the blame gets scraped off on them. They're the scapegoat. Or sometimes with uh, public scandals, we say, oh, they're scapegoating. They're, they, they're guilty, but they're trying to shove it off onto somebody else. Scapegoating. Now, the idea of scapegoat is not a modern idea. It's an ancient idea. It's a biblical idea, concept. And it comes from a ceremony that God instructed his high priest Aaron to conduct on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament when God's people are wandering around the wilderness. And on the Day of Atonement, Aaron is to bring two goats to the entrance to the tabernacle, this portable worship tent. And uh, he presents them to the Lord. And then he casts lots or dice. And one goat is chosen to be a sin sacrifice for the people. Another goat is chosen to be the scapegoat. That's what they called it, the scapegoat. And then what happened to the scapegoat is Aaron, the high priest, represents all of the people, takes his hands, he puts his hands on the head of the scapegoat, and he confesses all the sins of all the people onto the goat. 
That's what the priest does. He takes it on himself, puts it on the head of the goat, and then the goat goes out in the wilderness of Azazel, a wilderness from which no one ever returned, and the people's sin is taken away. New start. But they had to do this every year. Year after year after year. Then Jesus comes. He supersedes the literal scapegoat. He becomes our scapegoat. He carried our sins away. He took our sins upon himself, paid that sin price, and takes our sins away, and in exchange, enables us to be forgiven and right with God. Or another way to think about it is, God's forgiveness in Christ is like the ocean tides. When I was ages 5 to 15, my family lived in Bellevue, Washington, a suburb of Seattle. And every week, every summer, not every week, every summer, usually, not every summer, but often we would take a week's vacation, pack up the station wagon, drive three hours to the Pacific Ocean to Claylock Beach Campground. And there we put up our tent, and we spent the week just enjoying the beach and the ocean. This is Claylock Beach. I could show you a picture of any beach, but this is actually it. And one thing I learned as a kid at Claylock was uh, something called tides. And when we go to the beach and, and we were running down, my brother and sister, I had to play on the beach. I'd hear people talking about the tide coming in or the tide going out. Or people talked about high tides or low tides. And as a kid, I really didn't care. Didn't pay much attention. I just wanted to play in the water and dig around and dig for some clams or build a sandcastle with my brother Mark. And although tides, I find out, did matter because if you build a sandcastle in that wet sand when the tide's coming in, your sandcastle will be soon obliterated and you have to move further up and then the tide comes in. And so I learned tides were kind of a bother. But I also learned that tides have an amazing power to just wipe the beach clean. So every evening, all the people in this campground took their portable chairs, got to the path, went down on the beach and they spread out, put up their chairs and we all watched the sunset. Pacific Ocean sunset, beautiful. And as soon as the sun was set, everybody picks up their chairs, goes back to the campground, starts a campfire, and enjoys evening together. Well, I remember as a kid walking up off the beach, looking at the beach. It was a mess. There's no undisturbed sand. There's footprints, and there's places where people have been digging holes and clam, clam holes closer to where the water is, and there's remnants of old sand castles, and some people brought logs down from high in the beach, down to the water to play with. I mean, there's hardly any place in the beach that isn't marked up. But the next morning, when my brother and I went down to the beach to play, guess what? The tide had come in and out, and there's this perfectly clean, undisturbed sand beach, ready to be enjoyed. God's forgiveness in Christ is like an ocean tide. God gives us this life, this perfectly smooth sand beach. He creates us in his own image. We don't quite know what to do with that. We think we can do better on our own. We end up marking up the beach. We build sandcastles out of things that don't matter. And we mess things up. We mark our life up. We look around. It doesn't look good. We need the beach of our life to be washed clean, but we can't do it. But there's something that can. God's forgiveness in Christ. That tide of forgiveness. So we say, Jesus... I know you gave me this beautiful beach, but look at it. I marked it all up. It's a mess. Can you wash it clean? And Jesus says, yes, I can. I'd love to do that. And then the tide of God's forgiveness in Christ rolls in. It's a high tide. 
and it cleans off all the marks on the beach and leaves us with this fresh new start. Not just once. Just like the ocean tides, it's every day. So you can wake up every morning and say, thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness that gives me a new clean start today. The beach is clean. Brand new start. And that brings us to a really important point. Forgiven people forgive. Very important. It's one of the key identifiers of people who know and follow Jesus. For we're forgiven. Because we're forgiven, we're able to forgive each other. Uh, and when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, this is what he said. We just prayed it together. Forgive us our trespasses. All are falling short of what God wants for us as we forgive those who trespass against us, the people who fall short of doing what they should be doing for us. God forgives, and we can forgive. The church has been praying these words to God the Father that Jesus taught us for centuries. It's central to who we are. Forgiven people forgive. 